This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Brute Force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio. Special operations, military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Soft Rep Radio. I'm your host this afternoon, Steve Valestrieri. Joining me is our managing editor, Sean Spoons. So, uh, yeah, you guys are getting a double dose of soft rep on your podcast today. Sean and I are going to be talking about a lot of stuff, but we're uh, we're going to be talking about our Independence Day activities that we're doing again with Fox Nation, as a lot of you are well aware. Fox Nation, the, you know, uh, is an entertainment streaming service with unmatched access to exclusive shows featuring your favorite Fox News hosts and special programs that celebrate America, including new seasons of What Made America Great with Brian Kilmeade, Untold Patriots, which was my favorite, Revealed with Pete Hegseth, and Parked with Abby Hornacek. 
Military members and veterans get a whole year free. Go to foxnation.com and look for the military offer to start streaming now. And we're going to tease this just a little bit because in a little while, Sean and I are going to tell you about a sweepstakes that SoftRep is also offering to our members. But before we do that, uh, and I bring on Sean on the podcast, uh, on a personal note, um, I wanted to thank all of our fellow members of SoftRep and Brandon Webb, our, uh, our you know, our owner and, you know, the uh, he's the, the what I call the right hand corner, the guy who signs the checks. Uh, we had a death in my family last week. My uh, brother passed away and I, I got a lot of uh, very nice messages and we got some flowers at the funeral and from all of my family. And I also got some from some of our readers out there that found out about it through the grapevine. So I wanted to thank everyone for that. But that being said, uh, let's get to the show. Sean, welcome back to the podcast, my man. Thank you. I'm, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so are we, uh, are we ready to jump into this? I am, I am. So the partnering up with Fox Nation for Independence Day is always a lot of fun. I, I The promotion they're offering for current and prior service military was a year free of Fox Nation is something that um, a lot of our me- listeners and members took advantage of and I hope you guys will take advantage of it that extended this offer. And um, the programming is something that um, Steve and I and the other writers <laughs> really enjoy watching. It's, it's Independence Day every day at Fox Nation. So <laughs> if you, I always get a little nostalgic around Independence Day for, for that kind of stuff. I find myself gravitating towards those kinds of, you know, programs. Um, and Fox Nation's got some really great stuff. I've been I've been watching a bunch of it in the lead up to uh, to the Fourth of July weekend that's coming up. So yeah, uh, you know it's, it's funny uh, when we were talking the other day about uh, doing the podcast together. Uh, we were talking about Independence Day, and I I, uh, I reminded you of a speech I heard from Ronald Reagan uh, many moons ago. While uh, I was a young youngster in the military, and Ronald Reagan said to a Democrat, every day is April 15th, which is tax day. And to a uh, Republican, every day is Independence Day. So <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think that was a, uh, a, a really apt description. So Ronald Reagan had a great talent for, for making digs at people that were hilariously funny. And yeah. that's a funny one. I do remember Independence Day though in the military. Um, back in the 80s, it was always a lot of fun. Um, I was in Mayport, Florida for, for several years and uh, Independence Day weekend, there'd be jets flying up and down the beach from <laughs> everywhere. You'd see Georgian Air National Guard coming down the beach. It was everything that could get in the sky. If you were on, if you had the duty, you were up flying, um, you know, zooming around for all the civilians on the ground. It was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember uh, one Independence Day, I was down in Columbia. And, you know, we had a bunch of high level people visiting from D.C. And then the ambassador was going to have this big soiree at his house. And and, you know, of course, all the Colombian dignitaries and military guys were going over there. And, you know, it was mandatory fun for all the military guys who were assigned there. So, you know, we're all at the ambassador's residence. And because we had all these dignitaries, excuse me, coming in, I include I believe the Colombian president was actually coming as well. 
but I can't remember for sure. But anyway, they would bring through the dogs, you know, the bomb sniffing dogs to make sure everything was copacetic before, you know, our, our mandatory fun uh, day there at the ambassador's residence. And the dogs off slide going, you know, they started alerting on everything. So, you know, panic was hitting the streets. And then um, the op sergeant for the uh, mill group, you know, was the SF guy. And he was sitting in the chair laughing. And everyone's like, what are you laughing at? You know, because there was like absolute panic. And next thing you know, it was like, you know, one of the ambassador staff had put sparklers all through the garden that they were going to light as soon as it got dark and, you know, kind of set things off. And mm-hmm. the sparklers have a little bit of gunpowder in there and, oh and the God. dogs being, you know, doing what they're, ju- they alerted on all of them. So. Oh, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you spent a lot of time overseas today. Um, did you guys try to keep independence day as a, as a celebration? Um, when you, when you were serving overseas, you spent a lot of time in South and Central America. Yeah. I mean, we tried to, but I mean, um, you know, it wasn't like we were friends with the Brits, so it wasn't a big day for the British Embassy to um, celebrate with us <laughs> as one could right. imagine. <laughs> right, drinking a toast to the rebels. Yes, but, you they, know, they I, would, I uh, did see they, I, I did I did see something which was the house that Ben Franklin stayed in mm-hmm. when he was um, over there in London. I think he was ambassador there for a while. Um, and they're celebrating the Independence Day at, at that house. They're going to do nice. a reading of the Declaration of Independence and have a dinner or a party. And I was like, I'll be darned. How about that? You know, yeah. I just, I wonder who shows up for that. You know, it's I don't know. I, I still get some emails every 4th of July from uh, some of my British friends who, uh, you know, served with them one fashion or another. And they uh, all wish me happy Traders Day. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know on my uh my honeymoon we took a cruise and uh, it was over the fourth of over that fourth of july independence day uh weekend and so the cruise ship did this whole thing we we're on a royal caribbean ship and um they did this whole very nice thing for the fourth of july redecorated the dining room and all this stuff and then um after they were done they brought like champagne out for everybody and asked everybody to drink a toast to, to the United States. And then they, they started singing, um, God bless America. And, you know, you're sitting at dinner with a bunch of people. It's not just, you know, the two of you, we were there with people from Germany and from England and from Italy who were at our table. And, um, I was surprised at how many foreigners knew the words to God bless America. <laughs> and, and I looked over and the, and the Italian couple that were there were newlyweds. We're standing there just blubbering, tears streaming down their faces. <laughs> they were saying, God bless America. And I was like, what in the world? I, I, I was like very surprised by their reaction. And because uh, those Americans were all kind of like, you know, happy and cheering. And these people were deeply moved. And like I said, tears streaming down both their faces. They were a complete wreck. And um, I think we forget sometimes what America means to other people in other countries. Where were sort of um, um, the place of last resort, in a sense. Yeah. In their yeah. hopes and aspirations for freedom. It's like there's hope for the rest of the world as long as America is a free country, you know? That's what Independence Day is all about. Yeah. It was very hard for the colonists to 
declare independence. You know, originally, if you look at what the founders were doing in the lead up to independency, as they called it, they just wanted to get their their grievances redressed before the crown. They were subjects of the king. They wanted representation. Um, they didn't want to be taxed and have no say in how the money was spent. And they wanted their legislatures um, in the colonies to have some force of law and not have their laws just overturned by the parliament. And they they got a very bad reception on that. They were sort of branded as rebels just for asking. And it was kind of like this evolution of, hey, we'd like to get our grievances redressed. And the state, you know, under the kind of King George had no interest in it. It was like, oh, my way or the highway. And it, it hardened them to the point where they was like, okay, well, we don't have any choice now except to seek independence because we have a government that doesn't listen to us. And, um, but they didn't, they wouldn't, you know, jump right to that. You know, our revolution was a very unique one in history because it turned the entire political order on its head. You know, prior to that, almost every country in the world was ruled by a king. And that king had a divine right to rule that came from the church, whether it be the Anglican or the Catholic church. They were supposedly put in that, in, on that throne by God. And if you, disagreed with that, you were basically going up against God. Mm -hmm. And under that system, all the rights, all political rights were resident in the king. He owned everything and everyone, and he loaned some of his power and his rights to the people to exercise on his behalf and for him. And in our revolution, we turned that whole thing upside down and said that all power was resident in the individual and that he loaned part of that power to the government to protect his rights and his property and his country. And that was a truly revolutionary statement at the time and, and even today. Um, and, and I think as Americans, we should study our revolution philosophically and know why it, why it happened. You know, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are tied together. The Declaration of Independence was a statement of causes and it was a statement of political philosophy about what the rights of man are. And then the Constitution was the attempt to take those ideas about the nature of man and government and they, as they relate to one another and turn that into a, into a government. And the result has been the longest lived democracy in the world. We've, we've, we've been around longer than anybody else with an unchanged government. And it's a testament, I think, to how smart those guys were in creating the government that they created. And they, they basically were doing it from scratch. Um, and, you know, certainly it's had its missteps and its hiccups because, you know, as they said, if men were angels, there would be no need of government. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the great thing about the Constitution is the way that it diffuses power and that most... Um, charters of government in the world are written with an eye towards limiting what the population is allowed to do. You know, there's this idea of negative freedom where it says, here's what you're, here's what you're allowed to do. And if it isn't in here, it's forbidden. And our constitution is a limit on government that says, here's what the government's allowed to do. And if we don't specifically give it that permission, then it's not allowed to do it. Our, our revolution doesn't get studied enough, but it's, truly the unique revolution in the last 400 years of, of human history. Um, 
the, the revolutions that came out of the Marxist movement are not revolutionary at all. They're basically retreads of feudalism, where you have a feudal lord who has all the power and loans it to the people to use on their behalf. There's no difference in that and then in a supreme Soviet or a Politburo that does the same thing, holds all the power and lets the people have some little piece of it for them to sustain themselves on. But our revolution was, was truly unique and different. And I, I hope as this whole thing that we're dealing with right now about wokeness and critical race theory and all these things come about, that we return to studying that revolution and those times. Because you and I did. We studied that in school. We're of that age group where our American civics class, American history class, taught us that story about the American Revolution and how it came about. And um, I really think we should go back to teaching that to kids because if we don't, we lose that. If we lose the story of how we came about, we lose our history and, and, we, and we lose our origins, which can then be replaced with something else, which is I think the thing everybody's so concerned about right now. If we, if we destroy and eliminate the story of how we came to be, what are you gonna replace it with? And right. that's that's the question. That is that, the question. That's and, the, I don't, the, and, and I don't think we have to replace it. Because I don't think we have to replace it. I don't think anything to apologize for. So, no. anyway. Um, it's the most uh, perfect, imperfect union in history. We're not perfect yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but we're, we're the best example of uh, an imperfect union. So... Well, and that's the thing, you know, the perfect does not have to be the enemy of the good. You know, this notion that if it isn't perfect, then it's no good is just wrongheaded, especially since the accusations are being made by people who fall far short of perfection themselves. So our country, our government only has to be as good as it can be. It doesn't have to be perfect to still be a very good country. So. And it still is. So let's talk about some of these, uh, you know, we're, we're obviously uh, working with Fox again. We're talking about some of these shows on there. Um, there was a couple, you know, there's so many, but there was a couple I, I was watching in the past week or so. And uh, as you, you know, as we mentioned, you can get a streaming and it's great stuff. And I really was intrigued with the story about the Greenbrier. Um, you know, what made America great? Brian Kilmeade. And, uh, you know, what was your take on that show? Well, uh, there was a lot of stuff in there I had no idea about. Um, I visited the Greenbrier once as a kid in high school, and it seemed like just a, just a really beautiful resort <laughs> in the mountains and hills of West Virginia. And um, as it turns out, the Eisenhower administration from like 58 to like 62 built this hundred and like 20,000 square foot underground bunker facility to house the, the uh, house in the Senate in case of a nuclear attack by the Soviets. And I've never seen stuff that went under there. So Brian Kilmeade, it was like just a... He's like the busiest guy on Fox News. I mean, he does yeah. like three-hour radio show, and he's on this, and he does these other things. I don't think the guy ever sleeps. But I thought he did a really, really great job of telling that whole story about how that whole thing came about, and that it was probably West Virginia's biggest secret. And it stayed that way until, I don't know, the early 90s, when uh, then there was a press report about the whole thing. 
it was kind of like one of these quiet things. My favorite part of that whole story is about the guys that were the TV repairmen. They had this little (laughs) shop that did TV repairs in the hotel. And it turns out that the guy that was doing this handyman's job was, in fact, also on the CIA's payroll. And he's like the superintendent of this entire complex underground. But he was in charge of maintaining that whole place. And it was basically maintained like a hotel. I mean, like ready to receive, uh, at that time, like 533 people, the entire House and Senate. And it was ready to go right down to what kind of medicines these guys were taking. These, these congressmen and senators had supplies of whatever their prescription drugs they were on were available. And they were ready to feed and house and, and take care of these people like a moment's notice, have the whole thing running. I'm assuming that some of those people would have been taken off the staff. And I'm wondering just how many of the people on the staff, like cooks and things like that, were also on the government payroll for all those years. But you had a story about the Green Bar. I want to hear your story. I didn't get yeah, the whole story. And, just and, a part uh, of it. You know, where the Greenbrier is located, not far from there, is like a secondary site. And I don't know wh- who they were planning on putting there. It might have been Pentagon people. But they, they had an actual site up on top. And then there was this massive tunnel, like they just showed, with these big blast doors that went down into the mountain. And it was quite quite close to the Greenbrier. And so we used to do an exercise there back in the early 80s with the Secret Service. And we would use the miles gear that, you know, we used to use back then for, you know, shooting blanks at one another, but you could tell if somebody was hit or whatnot. And they would take uh, a group of us, like eight or 10 of us, and we were to act it's like the bad guy terrorists. And if there was, you know, a, a nuclear fallout or something was going to happen, we were the guys that were supposed to try to get the president before they could get him underground. And we'd go against the, uh, the uh, guys from the Secret Service. And we would stay. They had like, it was like a typical military barracks up on top on this side of this mountain that was like in the middle of nowhere, hidden in, in West Virginia. And so uh, we would stay in the building. Then they'd give us all morning to, to wander around it. Plus the night before and try to figure out, cause we knew where the uh, helicopters were coming in. So we had to come up with a plan. And obviously we knew where the blast doors were, so that was where the motorcade was going underground. So we had to work up a plan to uh, to do that. We did it a, a couple of times, and it was a lot of fun um, because we were allowed to basically do whatever we wanted. As they said, you can work up anything. You can a- actually try to you know take them out and then try to escape out through the mountains, or it could be a suicide mission, as many terrorists are, um, as we all know today. So it, it was it was a blast. And this one time, we had gone up there a couple of times, and this one particular time, <clears throat> we noticed that when they brought the helicopters in, you know, as frequently happens, they would bring the fire department up on the edge of the uh, 
of the strip up there, you know, in case of an emergency. So we we came up with a bright idea, and I was the guinea pig. And so they said, so, Steve, you're going to take hostages at, at the fire department. So that morning, once it, everything started to fall into place, and they said, okay, yeah, we're starting. I went walking in with my, you know, weapon under my jacket. I was in civilian clothes. And uh, the fire chief goes, hey, what's going on? And so I said, yeah, we got the thing going today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, I'm the head bad guy. He's like, what's that? And I said, I'm the bad guy. I just took you hostage. And uh, he started laughing and he was like, were you going to shoot me? And I was like, nope, I want a fire jacket though. So they put me, uh, they gave me a fire jacket and then the chief was laughing. He goes, you know, you're never going to get away. (laughs) So I get in the truck with all the firemen and there's another guy in the back, you know, and we're the bad guys that are actually dressed like firemen. So we go up and half hour before the, you know, the aircrafts are coming in. It's not really the president. They just had a secret service guy that was wearing the miles gear. So, and they had pictures of all of us. So we're sitting there and I'm sitting in the, in the fire truck and all the secret service guys start, you know, we know the choppers are coming in because they're getting active and they're all doing what they're supposed to do and they're facing out. And then one of them walked by the fire truck and just happened to look in and he looked at me and then he kept walking and he stopped, he turned around. And as soon as I seen him turn around, I was like, okay, he knows who I am. He started raising his, his weapon and we both shot at the same time. So they captured me and uh, they took me in for interrogation and, Turns out the guy that took me in for an interrogation was the same guy. If you remember when President Reagan was shot by Hankley, there was that one Secret Service guy that came up with an Uzi and was kind of waving it around. And he was getting everyone away from the president. And that was him. So uh, uh, me being the, you know, wise guy from Boston that I am, you know, I was like, hey. You know, he was starting to get a little agitated because I wouldn't answer his questions. And I was like, I know who you are. You're the guy that freaked out when Reagan got shot, waving that Uzi all around. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so they they gagged me really hard. I mean, to where I thought I was going to split my lip. Um, so they gagged me really hard on that. And they made sure those flex cups got really tight. And they put me in the back after that. And so, uh, but yeah, that was my story of the Greenbrier. It, it, and it is a absolutely beautiful place. And the fact that they were able to build that, you know, without anyone ever knowing, I don't know if the Russians ever really had an inkling of what was up there or not, but it's it's an amazing story. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, um, you know, because it's it's up in the mountains up there in West Virginia. So, you know, for the people who live in the South, it's a little cooler up there than it would be in the South. The um, New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots had joint practices during football training camp up there. Right there oh, at the well. Greenbrier. Oh, I'll be darned. How did you do this thing, have this exercise? Because it is a resort with golf courses and everything, crawling with civilians. Well, see, they, we we were on that uh, backside. We weren't in the actual hotel. Okay. Yeah. So it was a little bit a little distance from the hotel. So you had yeah. to. Yeah. 
yeah. some isolation, social isolation. But yeah, uh, it was a, it was a big. I mean, because they they told us the only thing you can't do is go down into the tunnel, and they had guard towers like uh, you know before you the blast doors. And yeah. they said, and if you try to run in there, somebody will actually shoot you. So don't do that. So <laughs> you guys are not in on the exercise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they're they're part of the exercise, but you're not allowed to go past that point. That was yeah. Uh, so uh, well, I don't want to give any spoilers to the show, but they do talk about how they built it. Um, yeah, it was awesome. In '58, they didn't really have spy satellites up in the sky, so. The only way they would have known it was there is that they could have put a spy plane over the top of the site. And in 58, you know, the green buyer was kind of like all by itself out there. So it was right. And, was, you know, and they covered isolated. it they, and they covered it up with the uh, with the, uh, you know, the background story that, hey, we're we're expanding the green bride. They made that, you know, yeah. they put it under a big extension of the hotel and resort itself that yeah. they built, which was absolutely brilliant yeah there's some other stuff i don't want to tell the audience about right you know because the show is good but like why they built it at the green buyer in the beginning and not on a military base it's kind of there's an interesting backstory to that that i wasn't aware of and you know having been there and and taken the tour i i don't recall that so that was something i missed or wasn't paying attention at the time and then and then also about um, how they tried to maintain secrecy and find out if anybody knew what was going on, which is apparently the CIA was active in the area. In, yes, um, that was cool. I don't, want to tell, I don't want to tell them how they did that, but that was pretty <laughs> yeah. neat too. Yeah. So, but, but some of the stats in that place were, and it was hidden in plain sight because some of the facilities were dual use. They were used by guests at the hotel who didn't. Had no idea. Part of this. Yeah. underground bunker complex they had no idea so yeah if, it's, if some people who had uh like conventions or conferences there had no yeah. idea that that was a uh you know the meeting rooms and it would be the offices of the you know the uh the government in be, case the, yeah. the balloon went up yeah it would be it would literally be where congress would be holding sessions and uh that was that was, that was some really fascinating things i if i ever get back up there that's definitely going to be on my list. I want to take that that tour of that place because, uh, first of all, it's a huge resort. Um, yes, it but, is but gorgeous. But I've watched some of the I've watched some of the other stuff that Kill Me's done, and I think what's really great about these stories is that how granular they are, how they are able to drill down on the on the details of these things, uh, not just this big you know bird's eye view of things, but really get down into the into the human side of of what it took to make the stuff that probably remember that story. I mean, even they get down to like a construction worker going to his boss and going, Hey, what are we building here? Cause the guy <laughs> has suspicion and the guy goes, Hey, look, we're paying you really well and off the books. And one of the things we're paying you to do is not ask questions. Yeah. The guy's like, Don't okay. Ask. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. Boss. I just get back out. He probably thought it was some mob activity where, you know, on the hotel where they're going to have gambling or something, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, like a speakeasy or something out of the place in the 50s. What are they building? What are we, why are we building this thing on the ground? You know, they don't ask. Oh, okay, okay. Take your paycheck, go home, don't ask questions. <laughs> so, 
but it's but it's interesting is is that sometimes the best way to keep a secret is to sort of hide it in plain sight. Exactly. You know, it was it was really really a fascinating program. But all the stuff that Kill Me did on What Made America Great, those are all really interesting programs. They're not they're not dull at all. You just like you just binge watch them. You want to see the next one. So there's a whole new season of that coming out. And um, if you're if you're Fox Nation member, definitely uh, definitely watching them. Give us your feedback uh, on the site. So we'd like to hear what you think of them too. But they're really really fun fun shows. There's also a new season coming out of Park of Abby Hornsack, where she's taking everybody through the national parks. And um, I think you got a rundown on which ones they're covering this time. But they're really great. They're really something. Our national park system is. If you've been to them, they're really some amazing stuff. Why don't you give them a list of the stuff that they're uh, that they're going to be going through this season? Yeah, let me pull that up because that is uh, that parked is I've, I've watched a few of those and they're pretty interesting. And having been to so many of our national parks, um, it's it's pretty. Uh, you know, I haven't been to all of them, obviously, but I've been to a lot of them. Uh, and uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Now, now um, I had it right here on my computer, the list of the ones. Here we go. And uh, so let me see. Yeah, these things are better than the brochures. Yes. Know, as far as getting an <laughs> overview of what to see and how they came about. And, and also, because, I mean, I've been to national parks, too. They're so immense. I mean, you could spend, you could spend weeks. Um, in some of these parks going through them and, and not see everything that's there. So these, these shows are give a great, a great background on these parks and the things that are must sees. And I mean, they're really good. If you're planning on going to the national parks, this is, this is like a, these are great primers. Um, oh yeah. To show your kids or show yourself if you haven't seen them. Let's see. I just had it right here on my computer and. Pull it up, but anyway, yeah. Um, these these shows that we're talking about, you definitely got to check these out on Fox Nation because they they were a ton of fun. They were really um, interesting, and you you were talking about the human element, and that that's what makes them. You know, we were talking about what made America great. I think Brian Kilmeade, you mentioned that. You know what he did. And that was he kept bringing the human element into that. And our national parks are so awesome. And let me see. I just had it right here. I keep uh, flicking out of it somehow. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll come back to that um, in just a I've second. I've got it. I've got, got it. it. She's going to the she's going to the Grand Canyon. Um, and you're going to get to see the Grand Canyon basically from yeah, above and below. She she's doing it from a helicopter too, so that should be cool. Four seasons uh, worth, twenty episodes. Yeah. Now she's going to um, Biscayne, which is my home, my hometown there in Miami. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that there's a national park in, in Biscayne Bay, so it's uh, it's really cool. I sailed across Biscayne Bay one time when I was a kid in a small twelve foot club pram. Across. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, we lived at Coconut Grove, and I said I skipped school and got in my little boat and sailed from 
uh, basically west to west to east, when all the boat traffic is north to south. And it's a very busy bay. So I got in big trouble for doing that because I got caught. So I was I was 12 years old, I think, at the time. So I, I didn't realize just how dangerous that was. But this came bay. Um, it's going to the Great Smoky Mountains, which I've been to. Mm-hmm. And um, that's an amazing, that's an amazing national park. Those are, that's a place you could know. I'm glad they turned that into a national park because it's absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's going to the Guadalupe Mountains, which I've never been to. Yep. Um, that's, have you been out that far west? I've uh, been out west, but I haven't been to Guadalupe. So this thing apparently is is wrapped up in this history of the uh, Mescalero Apaches and the ranchers who are out there, mm-hmm. who are basically both living there at the same time. So here you are, a cattle rancher with Apache Indians. Um, that must have been a very delicate balancing act. And I'd like to see what that homeowners association meeting was like. <laughs> and, and then uh, New River Gorge in uh, West yes. Virginia. So I think I've been to New River Gorge, but I, I was too young, I think, to actually appreciate it. But And that is um, a gorgeous place. Yeah. Harper's going to, like that yeah. too in West Virginia. Mesa Verde. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, well, West Virginia is gorgeous. That's yes. a beautiful place. That is West Virginia is, and um, you know, uh, one of the neatest places I've been to was Harper's Ferry, which is yes. you know big in our Civil War type history. Just before the Civil War, the uh, the abolitionist John Brown raided the you know arsenal Federal there Armor. at yeah at at Harper's Ferry. And it's such a beautiful town. And a quick story about that is, yeah, I mean, you're talking about West Virginia because we were just mentioning the Greenbrier. And then the guy that the Army sent in to put down their, you know, John Brown was led by Robert E. Lee, who was a colonel in the United States Army at the time. Right. And the troops were Marines. The troops were Marines, yes. I'm like, well, I mean, all the way to West Virginia. They must have been like, wait a minute, what's, is the Army busy this weekend? Why do we yeah. got to go all the way to West Virginia? <laughs> there's, yeah. nobody, there's nobody else you can send? Um, I guess they were the guys. And, that and were the, the funny ready. thing, it was uh, another uh, bit of history there. There was a lieutenant who came from the cavalry out in Texas that was trying to get Robert E. Lee at that time who was the U.S. Army's, he was kind of like the purchasing officer for the Army. Um, they were trying to get a new saddle for the uh, for the cavalry. And he went in to, you know, try to sell this to Colonel Lee. And Lee took him with him to Harper's Ferry. And he was kind of like the liaison to actually went in to try to talk to John Brown. And that was yeah. Jeb Stewart. Who later fought no with kidding. Lee? Oh wow! Is, yeah, in the Confederacy. Oh wow. oh wow! Yeah, that that's you know there was the army was so small back then, relatively speaking, that these guys that were a part they all of knew that, each other. Yeah, yeah, they all knew each other. They went to West Point together. They all served together. Um, most of those guys were uh, in the Mexican American War together and knew each other from that conflict. Um, it was a very interesting thing. I mean, we think of the Civil War as being this sort of war against, you know, brother against brother, but it, it was true in the military too. These were guys that quite often knew each other, um, you know, very well before the war even started. 
But yeah, being like a kind of a military historian, the first time I saw Harpers Ferry, I was like, yeah, I can see why they built a federal facility here because it's you've got those two rivers, you've got the yes. uh, the uh, Potomac and the the uh, Chesapeake. Mm-hmm. No, is it Chesapeake River? No, no. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> I'm going to draw another yeah. blank here. I know, I know, I know. Uh, but anyway, the confluence of those two rivers coming together made that a very important sort of strategic choke point. And that beautiful. It's like if you go to if you go to West Point, it sits up on a it sits up on that bluff overlooking the overlooking that river. So it was like, yeah, it was Shenandoah. West river. Point was was a fortress. You know, it was a fortress. So uh, controlling yeah, the, the Shenandoah, river. Shenandoah. Shenandoah. Yeah, Shenandoah yeah. and Potomac, where they come together. And it's beautiful. There's a, a yeah. beautiful rail tunnel that runs there. Um, yeah, that's, that is a beautiful, West Virginia is just like a you know, gorgeous place. Um, but we should, uh, we should move on to uh, Pete Hegseth's new, new season. You got a, a whole drop on um, July 2nd of mm-hmm. Untold Patriots Reveal, the second season. The first season was great. There's yes. great stuff in that first season. So he's going into his second season now. And this is that same thing that Fox does where they tell these very human stories. Um, instead of just these big, broad overviews, they bring you down to the individuals who shaped the American Revolution. And there's, uh, I think there's four or five, five new episodes coming out on this. So mm-hmm. it should be, should be really pretty cool stuff. You were telling me about one the other day when we were talking on the phone. Yes. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to, uh, before I forget, I wanted to read about that. We teased this earlier about soft rep sweepstakes, and then we'll get right back into the show with Pete. Um, soft rep will be giving away a brand new top of the line smartphone as part of its third quarter sweepstakes running from July 1st to September 30th. If you're a member of soft rep, all you need to do is to use your special referral link to tell your friends, family, whoever else about softrep.com. You take in points for every referral that uh, person that becomes a member, and the winner will be receiving his choice of either a brand-new iPhone 12 Pro, which is 128 gigabytes, or a Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra 5G, 128 gig. If you're not a member of SoftRep, and you sign up for membership during the third quarter, you can simply sign up and start using your referral link to participate. Plus, if you sign up during the third quarter, you automatically get entered into our new member sweepstakes for a chance to win an Emerson Commander knife and a Surefire LED flashlight. So there's no better time to join SoftRep than right now. With that being said, let's get back to the show. And uh, you you mentioned Pete's show. Um you know, growing up in Massachusetts, uh, I was enthralled with the story he did about Peter Salem, who was, depending on the accounts, he was either a f- free black man or he was still a slave. But he fought at the Battle of Concord and then the Battle of Bunker Hill, where he actually killed the probably the most famous soldier in the British Army at that time, Major Pitcairn. Yeah, he was, uh, Pitcairn was the guy that was in charge of the regiment that was trying to come up, uh, was Breed's Hill, you know, Breed's they called Hill, the Battle yeah. of Bunker Hill, but it was, yeah, the, on Breed's Hill. 
And, um, yeah, he shot the guy. He shot Pinkaren as he was stepping over the, over the uh, breastworks. I mean, they were, like, on top of him. And um, it's kind of a sad note, but uh, Pitcairn fell back in the arms of his own son, who was a yeah. lieutenant in the regiment. Yep. Um, I kind of fall on the side of um, of the guy being um, a freed a freed man because he had been discharged and then he reenlisted again. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking that that would be the sort of thing that probably only get to do as a freed man. I mean, once you got your first initial enlistment out of the way, there wasn't any compulsory second term that you had to sign up for it was almost like you volunteered because guys in revolution signed up for one-year terms it was one of washington's most vexing problems was that his whole army was recycling every year and trying to get guys to stay could be could be a little tough they were like hey i did my part find somebody else and this guy signed up this guy signed up twice and he was everywhere if i recall he was at he was saratoga retail saratoga um, I think he was at Trenton. I mean, this Trenton guy was Princeton, like, I can't remember. Princeton, yeah, and he was like four major battles, and <laughs> the fact that he lived through them was was pretty impressive. Um, and and then you know basically lived a long and happy life after the war. But yeah, that was a that, that's what I mean about these shows where they get down to these individual stories of these guys. It's really 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 good. He's going to do the one on um, Molly Pitcher. Yes, Which, that um, was a great one I'm as well. But um, yeah, be, before we, we move on, I, uh, you know, I was telling you offline uh, yesterday that, you know, the, the little town that we lived in, in Massachusetts, they they try to lay claim to the first uh, African-American soldier because he was part of the militia. And at that time, uh, the town of Millbury was... Uh, Sutton and Milbury were to one one time, so he was part of the local militia. His name was Peter Willard. He was a free black man, and he joined the militia. They raced to, to Lexington. He fought at Lexington, then it conquered, and then joined the Continental Army and fought the entire war. Coming back, you know, after the war was over, he was a revered member of the small town of Milbury, Mass., which had one of the federal um, armories at the time. They, they used to make muskets for the, uh, it was one of the six um, places that made weapons for the military. He was a revered member of the town of Milbury, and his portrait hung in Milbury's town hall until it burned down in a fire in 1971. So, uh, oh and his grave is marked as a, soldier of the revolution and he's buried in the uh you know graveyard there in the old part of town you know it's kind of interesting when you look at portrait artwork from that period of time you know artist skills were actually fairly rare people had really lousy taste because so much of the illustration from back then looks like like middle school cartoon work yeah you know by by kids <laughs> and sometimes it's really hard to identify these guys um because the the representations of them in, in art were so rudimentary and simple, you know. Um, there's a lot of, of the images of these guys didn't survive. You know, like Washington and Adams and these Jefferson, these guys, they, they could afford to bring in painters that could really, you know, could really do the job. Um, 
but I, looking at some of this stuff and some of the some of the artwork that they found from these shows, you're like, gosh, that looks like the, like a kid's cartoon. Some of this <laughs> yeah. stuff, you know. Can you, can you draw? Yeah, sorta. You know, okay, you're hired. You know, and they have these guys out there, you know, drawing this stuff. But yeah, the, the stuff they did on the Revolution has been really cool. I really like the the show they did about uh, Washington crossing the Delaware and mm-hmm. the Marblehead, the Marblehead Regiment, which. You and I were kind of chatting about when, when we were talking about that episode about we think of Washington's army as just being this bunch of you know militia farmers and stuff like that, but the, these guys from Marblehead were like a specialized riverine regiment. You don't even think about how many rivers there are in Massachusetts that they had to cross and how many how often Washington, like at uh, the Delaware at the, at the Battle of uh, Trenton, they did that in the middle of the night in a snowstorm on a frozen river, which for most armies would have been unthinkable to do. And then when he, when he retreated over to Manhattan and crossed the uh, Hudson River, he did that at night too. Mm-hmm. And so, he, so he had a capability to move his army across rivers, which was actually a very hard thing to do. That's why they fought over bridges so much. Um, but, but the story of those guys from, from Marblehead and the colonel that led them, was really, really interesting. And, and it was a part of that river history I did not know about. That if it hadn't been for those sailors and fishermen from Marblehead, he might not have been able to pull off that, that attack on Trenton. Because swimming was not something people did back then, let no. alone at night on a frozen river. The idea of going in a boat across that when you're a landlubber would have been like facing a tiger in terms of fear. And it would have only been possible if he had guys who knew what they were doing on boats and knew how to load boats and knew how to navigate boats and get them across river with a bunch of soldiers that were scared to death that they were going to drown in all their heavy wool clothes in the middle of a snowstorm. And I don't think he lost a man crossing that river, which is amazing because they crossed in the thousands for nine hours without losing a boat, which is really quite a thing, quite a feat. Those those guys, they deserve an awful lot of the credit. It's it's like it's like Washington had his own Marine contingent that was a part of his army, um, and I, you just you think of guys being artillery guys and cavalry guys and and guys that were specialists in supply and and quartermasters, but you don't really think about the riverine specialty, which is one of the most difficult military operations to pull off is to cross a river. It's a it's a a very difficult operation and and washington was pulling this off more than you know 230 years ago it's, it's really amazing stuff so that's what you get out of these shows and the other thing that i really liked was that uh it doesn't rely on the on the sort of dry recitation and, and a lot of illustration they go to these places and talk to people right. who are yeah experts on it and do some reenactments and stuff like that um watching those guys fire those muskets, you see the flash off of that thing and it's sparks flying off. And it's like, this is six inches from your face when you pull the trigger on that rifle, on that flintlock. And you have this flash and spark that's six inches away from your face. I imagine these guys caught a lot of stuff in their eyes until they kept their eyes closed when they, when they pulled the trigger, which probably we don't do that now with firearms. It spoils your aim. But back then, they, were, they must have had to. And if you were, I can't imagine you wouldn't be just a little blind after those flashes in your face for several hours of firing that rifle. It must have been, it would have some effect on your eyesight. 
So sure, and, and a lot of those guys at the end of the battle, their face was blackened from the powder, you know, being yeah. so close to. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know, misfires too. Mm-hmm. You know, those 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 where you just pour the powder into this bowl and then hope your flint strikes it properly. I don't know how they kept their powder dry. You know, we say that keep your powder dry. Um, but they were in the middle of winter in, in us in, at the Battle of uh, Trenton, and they had crossing the river in a snowstorm that was turning into sleet and rain. And I don't thick, know what they're carrying. Like you mentioned, on. yeah, in thick, heavy wool uniforms to boot. Yeah, I mean, and they got eight. They took eighteen cannons. So the cool thing about that episode, that one in particular, was they showed the boats that they crossed over with, and they. They took horses and cannons across them. Like, how did they do that in those boats? So I'm thinking they must have lashed two of them together, put a platform on it to move the horses across. But you would definitely have to have guys who knew how to handle boats in order to pull that off. Not a bunch of landsmen just trying to like, you know, they wouldn't understand weight distribution and all that other stuff. But they these were, you know, arm-powered boats. They had to row these things with oars that were 12, 14 foot long. So they had rowing crews to get these things across. But... It would have been fascinating just to sit there and watch how they did it. And I, Washington had enough confidence to say, okay, we can do it. I can, I can trust the fate of my army and indeed the entire American Revolution to um, these guys from Marblehead. And that, that, was, that was quite a thing. That was, that was quite a thing. That Battle of Trenton was a big deal. I mean, they beat Yeah, the I've, been, I've been to that uh, battlefield in, you know, uh, a lot of it is missing, but there's still a lot of it there. And uh, taking a tour there one time, one of the the guys giving the tour told us that several of Washington's men, now pictures, you know, it's it's wintertime, it's snowing, sleet, freezing rain. Some of his men had no shoes. Yeah. And they were, they they were, were wrapping their feet stuff. in rags. Yeah, there was some sturdy stuff. Those guys were made of some sturdy, sturdy stuff. I, I mean, they were they were amazing guys. And, and I've always, you know, we talk about like the the greatest generation, which we always tend to associate with the guys that fought in World War II. Um, but in my opinion, the greatest generation were the men who fought in the American Revolution because they were willing to die for freedoms and liberties and a country they would never know. That that they would die before they ever had the freedom that they were fighting for. And I think that made them really great men. There was a, yeah. a tremendous self-sacrifice in that that I think is unmatched. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's one thing to go to war to defend everything that America is. It was another thing to fight and die for the hope of what America could be. Good point. Yeah, the other um, untold patriots revealed with Pete Heggs that, that I really liked was Molly Pitcher. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there was so many conflicting reports of who... Molly Pitcher wasn't actually a real name. It was what they called the women who brought water to the troops out on the battlefield. They called them all Molly Pitchers. But... Um, the story that Pete did where they actually tried to track down who was the actual Molly Pitcher and 
you know, took her husband's place on the can. And a lot of it, you know, grew with time. But uh, she, the story that they tell on that one is definitely worth checking out. And uh, we don't want to give too much of it away. But, yeah, we hope all of our listeners out there definitely check that out. One of the things I really like about that whole series that he's doing is that it um, it tells you that that if the American Revolution wasn't just in the hands of of these um, of a certain type of American, it was in the hands of all these guys. It was in the hands of free blacks and in the hands of women and in the hands of fishermen and farmers. I mean, it really was a very much an organic um, revolution in a sense that that everybody felt like they had a part to play in. Um, yeah, there wasn't a political elite. There was... Uh... Yeah, yeah. And they weren't being... And these people weren't being flogged to the front. You know, one of the things that we don't... Um, one of the reasons that we won the revolution was because our guys were very committed. You know, the, the Hessians that, that George Washington defeated at Trenton were mercenaries. Literally mercenaries. These were soldiers... German <laughs> that had been uh, hired to King George by this a German lord, I can't think of his name now, basically gave him this regiment of troops for payment and then sent them over to um, the United States. And it was because that the, the British soldiers were having a hard time shooting at the colonists. They were having a hard time shooting them. So thought it'd be easier and more terrorizing if he used these foreign mercenaries which is one of the gripes in the Declaration of Independence is about sending foreign mercenaries, foreigners to fight the American colonists. Uh, they were very insulted by that idea. And in the British Army, you had you know, a very brutal system of conscription where guys were just sort of snatched up and taken and forced to serve in the army. Um, and our guys were pretty much all volunteers. They were all guys that stepped up and said, no, I want to serve. And Whatever they lacked in military proficiency, and they certainly did lack in military proficiency in many cases, they certainly made up for in sheer desire and and will to win. Um, made all the difference in the world because there were two armies. You know, there was Washington's regular troops, and mm-hmm. then you had militias that then augmented them. And Washington himself wasn't very pleased with the quality of the militia that was being sent to augment his army but those guys had a different style of fighting they were indian fighters to a large extent which was you know skirmishing and and sniping and the set piece battles that were fought in that era were very much about lining up and blasting away at each other with muskets from 100 100 paces away from each other and those that was a terrifying way to fight a war so those guys try to push them into the line and enforce upon the kind of discipline that those set piece battle armies like the British and uh, Washington's regular spot was a, was something completely alien and foreign to them. Um, but if you used them the right way, they were very effective. I mean, they, they could be very effective at harassing and interdicting British supply lines and doing all kinds of things like that. But in set piece battles, they didn't do so good. And that was a that was a very difficult way to fight a war from those guys. But the the guys who did fight were absolutely committed to it. The guys that stayed with him at Valley Forge were were true patriots. Um, went through that horrible winter living outdoors in, in dugouts, basically. And um, 
Oh, there's a story about that. You know, Washington would get all these communications from the Continental Congress that would say to him, look, we're trying to get blankets for you and, and we're trying to get uniforms and we're trying to get, you know, um, saltpeter to make gunpowder and we're trying to get all these supplies for you and Washington like cut him off and goes, look, just send me tobacco. I can get anything I need if you send me tobacco. I can, I can barter tobacco for everything else. Just give me a break. Just send me tobacco. I can get anything else I need with that, which is kind of interesting about how currency worked back then. It was very much a barter, a barter economy. And we were issuing Continental Script and all the stuff that really wasn't worth anything. And Congress didn't really have the ability to levy money. They were asking for, you know, donations basically from the colonies to help fight. And, you know, Washington's like, just give me tobacco. I can get anything else I need with that. So it's, it's kind of interesting. It's just a very interesting time. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that that came out in the shows about the, the American Revolution in, on Fox Nation was that, you know, a lot of the uh, rank and file of the British military looked down upon the colonists at the time. Now they, we look at them as American soldiers, but some of the British officers that had served with them during the French and Indian War had a very, very different, um, you know, perspective on how good of soldiers these guys were because they had fought the French and Indians and they used their tactics. And it was something that they were not used to. And uh, it, it took a toll on them, especially early in the war. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the features of that French and Indians war was, you know, it was a war between Indian tribes and it was also a war between uh, the French and the, and the English. And it was, a, it's a, it was a very weird kind of proxy war. I, don't, I can't think of anything in that time period that sort of um, equaled it in terms of the, the politics of it. Um, but it very much was, especially in those dense woods, it was very, very hard to fight those big set piece battles where you just line up in a field and shoot one another until one side loses too many guys. There was an awful lot of sniping and small skirmishing actions that were fought uh, between those armies. And they, the Indians were very good fighters. They, they really knew how to, they really knew how to use the terrain. And most of them weren't musket armed. They were using bows and arrows and, and hatchets. So, everything was kind of close order battle, you know, close quarters um, battle. So same thing, take a, take a rifle out in the woods and how far can you shoot it? Not very far. A tree will catch you around. So a lot of that fighting was brutal at very, very close range. It ranges, you know, 150, 200 feet away when you finally saw the guy you were trying to fight with. And um, if you were coming over as a European army, the French or the British, and trying to fight in the woods, of uh, New York or Pennsylvania or Michigan or any of those other places, you, know, you, you found yourself in, in some pretty dense stuff. I mean, they were very hard to move an army. They had to pretty much build roads while they were traveling on them to move things around. So it was, it was one of those wars drag on. There's not a lot of battles in them. Sometimes you think, why? Gosh, because it took so long to, you know, get yourself set up to fight. You know, you were constantly trying to find the right conditions to fight a European style of war, while around you, you have all these Indian tribes and these 
militias, both the French and the British, fighting it out in the woods in these small skirmish actions. Very, 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 very tough fight, very, and a brutal one. I mean, they weren't they weren't nice to each other out there. No, there was no quarter and, given in any of those. So. No, and civilians were targets, and you know, it, homesteads were villages get burned down. I mean, it was it was an exercise in total war, very different than the kind of sort of you know, gentlemen of France, would you care to take the first shot? Kind of you know conflicts that they had in Europe. It was most uncivilized, um, and a, a lot of accounts that are contemporaneous from British officers that fought in the Americas were like, "Oh my God, this is a terrible place to fight war. This is awful," which is kind of funny because it's our country, but back then it was sort of this untamed wilderness to a large extent, and um, the, the British were. It was a wild west kind of thing to the British who came over here and fought because it was like nothing nothing like like nothing they'd ever seen on the continent of europe so it was a very 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 different kind of very very different kind of war for them should we uh should we talk about something for the ladies yes for... please do so one of the things that uh there's a new show that's going to be premiering um we're recording this on the 30th so this is there's a new show that's that's premiering it's called women of the white house that's being hosted by Rachel Campos Duffy, who's a frequent contributor on Fox News, and she's going to be looking into the history of some of our nation's first ladies, like Dolly Madison and Mary Todd mm-hmm. and Edith Wilson, Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, and it's sort of like the woman behind the man kind of thing in terms of the presidency and how important they were to, um, to the presidencies of their husbands, certainly in the case of Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, certainly in the case of Dolly Madison, I mean, the War of 1812 went on in the midst of the Madison administration and they evacuated Washington because the British, you know, came and burned our capital, which is why we have a White House. It was originally sort of, a, I think it was a gray granite and um, it got burned black by the <laughs> British. So they painted it because the stone had been marred. And uh, that's why it's called the White House today because they painted it. But I think it was Madison. Dolly Madison that rescued, um, I think it was George Washington's portrait, that the famous portrait of George Washington. I mean, they had evacuated the Capitol. It's been the Declaration Declaration of Independence and and the Constitution and the records of Congress and all the congressmen stuff. They all basically fled for their lives so they wouldn't be captured. And Dolly Madison was, um, you know, pretty heroic in in taking charge and assisting in that evacuation. We tend to think of women back then as being just sort of like you know standing in the background but that wasn't really the case at all they were very they were very active in the presidencies of their of their husbands you know working behind the scenes in charitable causes and other things like that but it should be an interesting show um it'll be very interesting especially i think the one about mary todd lincoln will be very interesting because she yes sort of for mental illness and her husband was assassinated one of her children died and uh, three, three of her sons died, didn't they? That's right. Three of them. Yeah. So she was a, she was a unique person to be interested to see their treatment of, of, of her life. I mean, if there were a reason to be depressed, that would be one of them or four yeah. of them losing a husband and three of your children. So, and, and Eleanor somebody, Roosevelt was uh, way ahead of her time when it comes to. Yeah. And also a first time, a wartime first lady. Mm-hmm. You have the, uh, you know, it's the kind of war where if you lose, you know, 
you could expect the Germans and the Japanese would shoot you right next to your husband. You know, it's, it's a different perspective. You think of first ladies today who are, you know, holding social functions in the White House and things like that. Some of these first ladies were like involved in war, some of them very closely and would be thinking of, you know, this could get me killed. Like Dolly Madison, you know, hey, it could cost me my life. This isn't the tea party they promised me. You know, I, I could I'm getting captured by the British and home. So they they had some pretty harrowing experiences in this. So Edith Wilson, of course, is Woodrow Wilson's wife, and that was during World War One. Um, and I'm trying to think of actually of the ones that they've got here. I don't think one of them wasn't involved in in a conflict of some kind. So. That's, that'll be an interesting show to catch, and I'm, I'm going to watch it too because I think their stories are part of American history as well. And you and I are both big history buffs, so that will definitely be on the that will definitely be on the list of must must watch kind of stuff. And then I think finally we come down to um, to to Lee Greenwood's show that's that's going to be broadcast on the 11th. So. You and I grew up listening to Lee Greenwood, whether we were oh, yes. or not, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, when the, when the Lee Greenwood song, God Bless the USA, came out, of course, that was like a huge hit at the time. And then during the first Gulf War, that became like an icon of that, that era. And, yeah. I mean, it was played everywhere. If you were in the military and you went somewhere, people played it for you. And no offense to Mr. Greenwood, it's an awesome song, but I got so sick of that song by the, you know, the early 90s. I, it was like, oh, my God, they're not going to play it again, are they? You know? Well, but, it would be like hearing the national anthem every day on the radio four or five times. You know, like, okay, okay. Yes. You know, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, but it's sort of like the, it sounds like the unofficial, it's like the second national anthem. Yes. You know? And, you know, and, what, what makes it neat is when he, you know, he travels around um, uh, to uh, visit troops all over the world and they always play it and he sings it for them. Those are kind of neat moments. Those they're very neat moments. And they're going to show that uh, in the show, Proud to be an American. And Lee is a guy who made, I don't know how many appearances over the years at USO shows. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the troops were overseas, he wanted to be there. And yep. that isn't easy. He could have stayed in Tennessee outside Memphis and played golf. You know, the royalties on that song would have kept him basically oh, yeah. in riches, creases for a long time. But from from my understanding is those USO tours are tough. They're they're not they're not luxury tours. Those guys those guys who sign up for that, they don't live high. They're flying a military no, and they're, 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 they're helicopter. Yeah, and they're, they're constantly on the move. I mean, they, they don't spend a lot of time at one specific place. So it, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it, it wears on you. I've talked to uh, a couple of people that have been on those tours, and they say those, I mean, because they, they try to get, you know, the people that are going on those tours to see as many of the, you know, troops out there that they can, and that's the whole purpose of it. But hats off yeah, to all of those people around. that do those. Yeah, and they zoom them around, mm -hmm. um, and it's a whirlwind kind of thing, like sometimes two or three performances a day. And, you know, I've had some, you know, sort of ideological, philosophical differences with celebrities, but I have to say when I find out 
but they're you know out there on the road doing USO tours for the troops and kind of like well okay I guess they're not such bad guys you know we kind of think of of Hollywood as being all you know hardcore leftists but some of these guys they genuinely care about the troops and they unlike performing at some kind of a charity benefit where you just basically write off your four hundred thousand dollar appearance fee and then get back in your limo and go back to your mansion in Beverly Hills. I mean, these guys that go on these USO tours, they, they go out for a while and it's, it's rough living. It's, it's, it's hard work. Um, it, I mean, obviously not as hard as it is to be a soldier in there, but they're definitely getting a, an idea of what it's like to be in the military to go and do those shows. So I got a lot of respect for Lee and I'll be interested to see what this show, um, uh, looks like on the, on the 11th. Because uh, he's a great entertainer. He's a real pro. He's been around a long time. Oh, yeah. And to see what other kind of guests. And this kind of brings us back to what we were talking about before, that, that if you're inclined to enjoy unabashedly patriotic programming about America and its history, um, its present and the way it moves forward, you, you very, have a very, very hard time finding a better place for that than Fox Nation. And that's, that's no... Um, that's no uh, press commercialism. It's really great stuff. And if you um, if you like that on this in this time of year the way I do, definitely definitely take advantage of this offer for veterans and sign up for a year. Show your support. Um, the way that broadcast media has changed today. Uh, you remember when it was cable and you had to pay to watch the shows, and then there was free uh, TV, the three or four channels that you got to watch: NBC, ABC, CBS, and PBS. And that was the free television. Well, the broadcast medium has changed now. So now we have subscription channels like, you know, um, uh, Netflix and Disney Plus, and all of them are offering programming that is specific to an audience that they think will enjoy it. And if you're somebody, you know, red-blooded American and love your country, I don't think any of you will be disappointed by what you see on Fox Nation. I, I know I'm not. Absolutely. I couldn't have worded it any better myself, my friend. So, uh, you know, Fox Nation is great. Uh, you know, uh, when we did the the uh, programming, you know, uh, just a, a while back with those uh, those folks over there at Fox, we, we got to speak with Pete Hegseth on the podcast, which was great. Um, Pete's an awesome guy. Um, and hopefully we'll we'll get one or two more of the some of the hosts over there at fox if we can get them we'll be sure to run them uh right over here to our podcast because uh great stuff and we encourage all of our listeners uh to sign up for the free year at fox nation and be sure to sign up for softrep.com um you know for our you know third quarter sweepstakes but before we go if you want to get softrep on your phone download our free mobile app and get easy access to our articles podcast. Great gear reviews, all perfectly formatted to your device. Please subscribe to softrep.com to get access to all our library of ebooks and our exclusive team room content forums. Um, it's available on all of your Apple and Android devices. Sean, what can I say? This was fun. We don't get a chance to do this very often, so we need to make a habit of it. Yeah, you know, this is this broadcast runs almost like our telephone conversations when we see <laughs> yeah. something in the news and call each other and go, hey, do you see this? Anyway, I just want to say on behalf of all of us here at, um, at SoftRep, 
Happy Independence Day to all of our members and listeners here on Southwick Radio. Uh, you make the difference in what we do, and we certainly appreciate uh, your continued patronage and support. God bless America, everybody. Happy Independence Day. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.